Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Highways Voices time again, and today we're back on the subject of e-scooters. GPS tracking that the companies are implementing will also be able to see when consumers are on the pavement, when they're in parks that they shouldn't be, when they're on roads that they shouldn't be, if they're going down one-way roads the wrong way. As long as they can enforce what they're saying, and I guess this is what TfL have to be monitoring and checking, then that's, I guess, a positive step in the right direction. Our most popular podcast ever was on the subject when leading journalist Peter Hitchens spoke out against them here on Highways Voices. This time we hear a supporting argument. We'll go the last mile to bring you the big stories here on Highways Voices from Highways News. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. So that's come in a moment. First of all, Adrian Tatum, co-owner of Highways News, joins me as always with his thoughts on the week's news on our site. Adrian, what have you spotted well paul it's a real mixed bag of important stories again this week firstly new guidance to help local authorities to plan design and deliver higher quality walking cycling routes across wales has been released the new active travel guidance brings together previous advice and feedback from public consultations and clearly sets out what is expected from councils when they're designing new infrastructure with welsh government funding this year alone welsh government has invested 75 million pounds in active travel more than any other country in the UK per head of population to provide the people with access to high quality active travel routes across the country so they feel safe to get out of their car and cycle and walk. Elsewhere, Highways England has announced what it calls its ambitious new carbon plan that aims to rapidly cut carbon from road construction, maintenance and operations and supports the transition to net zero emissions. The government-owned company said it's taking immediate and sustained action towards decarbonising England's motorways and A-roads. Also, Kent County Council has released a comprehensive five-year highways asset management plan and light rail operators get more funding from government to support operations as restrictions are lifted across the country. I'll add some stories about using data to better understand the causes of road crashes and therefore reduce them. Passengers being very positive about their experience of a driverless pod in Cambridge. A mixed reaction to the transport decarbonisation plan you just mentioned, Adrian, with the chair of ITS UK suggesting there are some missed opportunities to use technology. And an interesting one from Israel, who are bringing in technology to alert authorities if parents forget that their babies and toddlers have been left in the car. You can read all about these and so much more on our site and get them in a handy roundup email with our daily briefing, which hits your inbox at midday if you sign up at highways-news.com. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. A few weeks ago, you may remember, we had leading journalist Peter Hitchens of The Mail on Sunday on Highways Voices discussing his opposition to e-scooters. It's complacency. And nobody talks about the fact, that, which is known to anybody, in, even in our uncrowded cities at the moment, uh, that these things are written, very much written on pavements and on footpaths and places where, where vulnerable people are. And they can they can attain speeds. I know officially they're limited, but everybody also knows that the the limits can be easily overcome with a bit of electronic know-how. Uh, they can attain speeds of 25 miles an hour. And they're quite heavy. Uh, I, if you pick one up, 
to be struck by one of those things on from behind on the pavement is quite dangerous. And we have cases from Paris, which legalized them some time ago, of people being quite seriously injured. A, a leading musician at the Paris Opera had, had basically had her playing arm broken and ruined uh, by being crashed into by one of these things. And when they go on the public roads, they're terribly vulnerable and dangerous. And again, in Paris, people have died uh, on, on public roads riding them. It, it, it's I, I, I'm amazed that anybody thinks it would be safe to do so in, in, in heavy traffic, but they do. And they don't look to me, after decades of trying to make motor cars and motorcycles safer with, uh, with better braking and, uh, and, and better helmets for motorcyclists and, and cars and side impact protection and airbags and all the rest of it, suddenly to license these totally vulnerable machines, uh, which I can't, I find it very hard to imagine have have braking uh, power equivalent to that of a of, of a of a modern car or motorcycle, or even a, a decently equipped bicycle. I and put them on the roads and on the pavements. What are they doing? Now to remind you, Peter is no petrol head. He's a keen cyclist who drives as little as possible, but is concerned about these because of their safety. Well, after that, Jack Holloway, an expert in mobility brands at global brand agency Lander and Fitch, got in touch to tell me that he took issue with the notion that e-scooters are a bad idea, saying that the trials that are ongoing are a pivotal moment for e-scooter brands to prove they can deliver an intuitive, safe and accessible experience. So I thought I'd get him on to Highways Voices to talk about why he thinks that, and he started by admitting that the mode hasn't done really very well in ingratiating itself with the public. Over the last few years, there's been a lot of kind of deserved media attention to the e-scooters and, and that's mainly because they've they've kind of sat in this weird mobility space where they're freely available to buy but then they can't be used on public roads and because they're not supposed to be used on the roads they've effectively been sold quite unregulated so you have no speed capping very little safety requirements no age restrictions for use or purchase and then when you pair that with users who aren't aware that you, you know, you're not allowed to use them on the roads because it's not widely public, unfortunately, you are going to get some of these you know, quite tragic accidents that have happened over the last couple of years. So I guess for the, for the e-scooter trials, it's a bit of a reset button you know, to see if they can deliver on the promise of alternative mobility. But for that trial to succeed, the local governments need to work with the rental operators to regulate, you know, sell, safe and self-usage. Because it is this, the safety that is the key thing. I don't think any of the criticism that I've seen of e-scooters is about their operability or their mm. value in last mile movements, but it is about the safety and it's about people whizzing around on pavements. And we saw that three-year-old child in West London get both collarbones broken. We've seen accidents involving e-scooters on main roads. There's been at least one death involving crashes between e-scooters and vehicles. And the safety issue is a real concern among a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Rightly so. But what's been quite promising about the start of the trials was the kind of regulation that TfL have put in place for these operators. So first of all, a, a maximum of 12 and a half miles per hour 
which I think is quite reduced in comparison to many other kind of cities around the globe. They have to have lights on the front and the rear of the vehicles that are on throughout that rental period. They have audible warning systems for people that maybe are visually impaired. They have first ride policies, which means that new users are required to take an e-learning safety course. Riders can only be over the age of 18 and they have to have a full and a, sorry, a full or provisional driving license to rent. There are rules against riding on the sidewalks. And what a lot of these operators are now in, well, I think what they all have is GPS tracking monitors on them so they can see when when uh, riders are riding on the on the pavement or behaving in a kind of inappropriate manner and then they run a three strike policy which could lead to suspension and then i think even tier which is one of the operators offer a foldable helmet so i know that they do that in york i'm not too sure if it's launched in london i think so which is stored on the handlebar and you can just open it up and, and wear it when you ride but there's a nice list of of safety stuff that the the tfl have, are implementing there's one or two things that i think could be improved and i think the first one is if tier can offer helmets why can't all the others and then the second thing is, it's probably the pricing structure that these companies use. So at the moment, the operators run a, a one pound unlocking fee, and then either a 15p or a 16p per minute charge. But the problem by paying per minute is that it encourages riders to make reckless decisions in the quest to save money. So I think maybe a pricing policy where it's per kilometer may be a more effective way that that could reduce that that risk. You gave the list of the restrictions on using e-scooters and that all makes an awful lot of sense but I guess the question is a how do you identify somebody who is scootering along mm. the road as to whether they have a provisional or a full driving license uh, how do you know if they've been banned before because it's not like having a number plate on your car or anything like that mm. and Who's going to enforce it? Because the police, uh, when you do see them out on the street, are worried about a lot more things than than e-scooters. So is it is the advantage being offset by some disadvantages? Yeah, but I think technology plays such a key role here. So actually, uh, last week I tried to use an e-scooter in or it was a couple of weeks ago in Bristol. I have a driving license. I didn't know that the driving license was a kind of requirement for it. My girlfriend doesn't. So when she was trying to sign up to use the scooters, the authentication that you require is a photo of your of your driving license. She has a, a driving license from Mexico, where she's from, which was actually out of date. And they said, no, you can't use that. Sorry, you can't ride the scooters. So, you know, from that point of view, digital, you know, is going to is going to help monitor and ensure the right pe that only the right people can use the, the scooters and then this gps tracking that the companies are implementing will also be able to kind of what well, they claim and i don't know if this is you know true claim to see when consumers are on the pavements when they're in parks that they shouldn't be when they're on roads that they shouldn't be if they're going down one-way roads the wrong way and uh, as long as they can enforce what they're saying, and I guess this is what TfL have to be monitoring and checking, then that's, I guess, a, a positive step in the right direction. And if it turns out, you know, it, if the operators aren't doing this job, then it's detrimental to them because they're the ones that are going to suffer. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the rental will effectively get cancelled. <laughs> Explain to me why we need them within our mobility 
landscape because I can use my feet. I could hire a push bike. Why do I need an electronic vehicle to help me get that mile or mile and a half uh, part of the journey that I could surely do using my own steam? We see increased congestion on our roads. You know, we sit on the buses and the taxis where sometimes it ends up being quicker to walk. And you're right, e-scooters are this alternative. If we can reduce the, the congestion that is on our public transport, you know, then that's a good thing. I think vice in, in, in city especially, Londoners don't live in massive houses. Storing bicycles, storing transport is an issue. They are quite a lot quicker than walking. You know, walking is what, three, four miles an hour? You can get 12 miles an hour on the on the scooter, which means, you know, your journey could be three or four times quicker. And then not just thinking about London here, it's about other cities in the country. You know, London is really, we're really lucky to have a great public transport infrastructure. It's rare to have to wait more than three minutes for a bus or a tube. Um, but other cities in the UK, they, they don't have that luxury. Hence, there is this heavy reliance on, on cars. And I think the e-scooters just offers a bit more freedom and a bit more um, opportunity for city dwellers to transport around the, around the city. So obviously the trials going on at the moment you see as crucial for achieving that vision that you've been talking about, about e-scooters fitting into the mobility landscape. How are the trials going, Jack? Do we know yet whether they're bringing back encouraging figures or is it too early to tell? Yeah, I think it, 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 it's probably a little bit too early to tell, definitely within within London. Obviously, some, some of the other cities, uh, the, the trials have been running for a little bit longer. I think in Nottingham, where they have a, a 200 strong fleet, those um, scooters are kind of averaging 10 uses a day, which is pretty good going. It shows there's a, an uptake for them. And those riders are aged between 18 and 44. So, you know, quite a large demographic of people using those scooters. So on that basis, you know, it's only one stat, but there, there is the potential, you know, there is a promising start. No, let's assume the trials work. Let's assume that e-scooters become part of the mobility landscape, the safety issues are dealt with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to get what you get with any new piece of technology, large numbers of different operators trying to carve out their niche in the market and, and create their market share. So how do you brand something? How do you stand out from the crowd? Um, what are the opportunities for brands to differentiate themselves from their competitors? What I'm finding quite interesting, you know, reviewing all of these different operators is that they're all positioning themselves as mobility companies. They're not just in the business of e-scooters. So if we take the London operators, for example, Lime and Tier also offer moped rentals, whilst I think the Lime, Tier and Dot, which is the third operator, also offer bicycles. And, and maybe not in the UK, but they have those services um, you know, around the world in their other cities. And because sustainability is the big mobility issue of our time, each of them are going going very strong on that message. This is fine. It's it's kind of true. I mean, something I was reading yesterday suggests that getting the bus is still greener. But by playing the sustainability card, these operators they're not they're not gaining any advantage over their competitors. You know, they're all behaving super similarly. 
There are two operators that are starting to define a supplementary purpose to their sustainability messaging. And the first one is DOP. So I think they probably have the most defined brand positioning. They have quite a distinct product language through their their bicycle and scooters that feel quite playful, youthful, accessible, you know, colorful. And they're starting to position themselves as an accessory to sightseeing. So appealing to that lucrative tourist market, um, I think that's probably quite a smart long-term strategy, but only if the scooters are allowed to move into the other London boroughs that they're currently not they're not allowed in. So I think they need to be let into Hackney, Islington and Camden. And then the other one is, is Tia. Their scooters probably look the most aspirational aesthetically wise. You know, they feel the most contemporary. And as mentioned earlier, they also have this foldable helmet. They're also introducing swappable batteries to their scooters. They don't have to be picked up and recharged every evening. And I think these proactive innovations to the category probably position them as a more innovative and forward thinking proposition, you know, in a similar way to how we may perceive Tesla, for example. But what they need to do is they need to start communicating these innovations and these plans in a kind of far more effective way and start not just talking about sustainability, but all of the other great stuff that they're they're innovating from. It's really interesting what you said there, actually, Jack, because the fact that often when we in the transport industry deliver a service, then the service is just, well, this is it and this is how it will work and this is where it will travel to from or this is what it'll do. To actually think about appealing to the public and doing that branding and that marketing exercise is something that I guess should be done across whatever transport mode, not just e-scooters or the, the new modes that are being introduced now. Absolutely. Um, a good anecdote here is is I actually worked on the Great Western Railway redesign, the, the, the brand redesign, a, a few years ago. What Great Western, or I think at the time they were first Great Western, what they realised is that their trains obviously cater the southwest of England, so your Cornwall, your Devon, your your Bath, these Bristol's, that historically that they were the the holiday destinations for uh, Great British Holiday. And they wanted to turn their livery and their experience into something that felt kind of more special. It felt like you were going on holiday. It turned those areas that they cover as destinations. So everything from the ticket offices to the to the livery, to the train interiors, to the lounges was all built around this idea of a, of a travel experience. So we took lots of cues from the airline industries and started building that into the experience for consumers. And you can effectively take that approach and thinking and apply that to your e-scooters or your everyday trains. It's just about defining what's really special about what you as a company do. That They're not all the same. They all have some sort of uniqueness to them. And then it's about expressing that uniqueness so it can become a, you know, an advantage for you as a brand. Jack Holloway is a mobility branding expert at Landor and Fitch. And you can clearly tell he knows what he's talking about. And he's been talking about e-scooters, uh, their safety and their place within the mobility landscape on Highways Voices this week. Jack, thanks ever so much for your time.
Oh, thank you very much, Paul. It's been great chatting. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. As always, we're keen to hear your views on this and any other issues, so please do get in touch at contact at highways-news.com. And it's also the address where you can, if you want, nominate someone for something they're already calling a podcast-based recognition of something that someone or some people have done that's good for the highways industry. It is, of course, Adrian's accolade. Adrian, who's your accolade for today? So this week, my accolade goes to Safer Highways for its successful start to its new highway. Highways Heroes Awards. The organisation that was set up to recognise excellence in health, safety and well-being has set up these awards to recognise the people we put to work on both our local and strategic network. The awards have attracted huge support so far in the sector, with over 10 sponsors confirmed to committing to the event. Nominations are open also this week and they can be made at highwaysheroes.com. So well done to Safer Highways for winning Adrian's Accolade and really putting safety front and centre of what the industry is all about. So that's it for this Highways Voices. We've got one more before we take a break for the summer holidays next Wednesday. So do join us for that and don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We're on all the main podcast platforms. Talk next week. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 